0: The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today, on the lab report, get ready for it. Get ready for what? You're not going to believe it. Who what? It's going to be amazing.
1: Dr. Arisab- ah! Oh Dr. god. <laughs> the world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report.
0: All right, if you're getting a steak, do you go like medium rare? What do you do?
1: Oh, I go medium well.
0: That's What's wrong with you?
1: I don't know. It's not like I'm getting advanced glycation end products. It's just medium well.
0: It's just, I would, can you take as much flavor out of the steak as possible, please? I just don't like the bloodiness of it.
1: Can't do it. I would like the steak
0: with no flavor, please.
1: What? Who are you? Besides, when I add ketchup, there's lots of flavor. Oh, my God. Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Patty Devers. Oh, my God. It's me. I'm here.
0: I can't believe you're here.
1: How's it going there, sir?
0: It's great. Thank you cool. for asking. Uh, I hope everyone's doing fantastic. We have a big show for you today. Oh, my God. It's going to be amazing. Ugh. And uh, thanks for joining us here on The Lab Report. It's a podcast. Brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and sports medicine.
1: Wow. And if you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're returning, thank you so much for your support and Mm -hmm. for coming back. It's good to see you again. Hopefully, you'll go to iTunes or Spotify and maybe subscribe to the show. You know the drill. Do Do all the stuff. Uh Do it. All the things. Tell your friends. Yeah.
0: It's going to be great. Um, If you have feedback, you know, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. Oliver, how are you doing? Brilliant good to hear, way to bring the excitement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, Michael, what we should do, we should start out, first of all, by saying and telling the people why we're freaking out over today's episode, why you were screaming like a maniac and sounded a little bit like Kermit the Frog in the intro. We need to tell the people what's going on today.
0: Dr. Ara Sapaya is here. And honestly, I'm I'm just speechless. I mean, I this know. guy is incredible. How did we get him? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I. I. I feel like this is made up. I feel like I'm still yeah. asleep right now.
1: No, he's actually the chief medical analyst on the Golf Channel. Yeah, well, and, exactly. And like functional medicine doctor to ridiculously famous athletes. Yes. And he also happens to be a fan of our show.
0: What? Yeah. It's not even possible. That's, That's just, what I thought. Stop. You can't make things up. <laughs> So we've got my mom and your sister and then Dr. R. That's 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 what we're dealing with.
1: Yeah, this guy's kind of famous, Michael. I'm a little bit scared and freaking out. Not going to lie.
0: No, I agree. I'm with you. Like, I might pass out during the interview. And and so you'll just see me fall out of my chair on the (laughs) Zoom call. And if my face hits all the sound effect buttons, then it'll be even better.
1: Well, I know CPR, so you're good.
0: And we need to make sure everything's, like, buttoned up. Ready to go. Perfect. I know Travis was in here making sure everything was cleaned up. Tested out all the buttons here. I'll just test one out real quick to make sure it works, even though we probably won't need it. But (laughs) that's good. So um, let's just call him.
2: Oh, well, I couldn't agree more.
1: So, Michael.
0: I I can't even believe it. Dude. No, I can't. Dr. Sapaya
1: is here. I know, freaking out. Speechless. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Sapaya if you live under a rock perhaps and you don't know who this man is. Dr. Ara Sapaya is one of the world's most trusted medical pioneers in professional sports and the founder of the Functional Sports Medicine Institute based on decades of groundbreaking research and discovering how to solve the unmet needs of world-class athletes to achieve maximum health and vitality. Dr. Ara is a highly trusted and sought-after personal physician on the PGA LPGA Tour, ATP, and WTA Tour, a practicing ER physician, chief medical analyst on NBC Sports Golf Channel, medical contributor to Golf Digest, author, and speaker.
0: It's incredible. I know.
1: Dr. R's client list includes a who's who in professional golf and tennis. As a lifelong athlete, Dr. Ara is on a mission to change the way people think about working with athletes. As a result, he's sharing his learnings in the first-in-class CME-accredited online functional sports medicine masterclass designed to empower those who work with pro and amateur athletes to strategically enhance their health and performance. Born in Malaysia, Dr. Ara was awarded a merit-based scholarship to study medicine at Liverpool University in the United Kingdom. Having practiced medicine all around the world, Dr. Ara is one of a handful of physicians worldwide who has taken on the daunting task of studying three sciences, functional medicine, allopathic medicine, and Eastern medical philosophies. Dr. Ara holds a total of six medical degrees and is formally trained in surgery, emergency medicine, critical care, sports medicine, acupuncture, and functional medicine, so he's kind of a smarty pants. Yeah. He serves as advisory board member of several U.S.-based commercial companies, and in March of 2021, he was appointed as head of research for peak living for the Chopra Foundation. And with that, oh welcome gosh, to stalker. the laboratory. Right, we're
0: so happy you're here.
2: I, I, I heard that, and I was like, wait, is that me? <laughs> said, my mom would be so proud of me right now. it's <laughs> well, for having me
0: yes absolutely dr are, i mean your accomplishments are so extensive how does I, let's just take it way back how does a child in malaysia go on to become the premier functional medicine physician in professional sports
2: oh gosh uh you to <laughs> that far back okay uh you know um so i was born in malaysia and i was you know always playing sports lifelong athlete really and uh I at a critical juncture in my life when I was uh, seventeen, I wanted to I was very good in tennis. Wow. I played competitive in Malaysia, won numerous tournaments and I wanted to turn pro. Right. And at that same time, I was also academically very, very good. And so, you know, because my mom had I had a deal with my mom, and if, if my grades dropped, she would lock my records up. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would do whatever it took to keep my grades up so I could play tennis. And so I got a, you know, a, a spot in Liverpool University to study medicine, but you know, we, my mom, my dad passed away when I was five, my mom brought us all up and she's a teacher and financially there was just no way we could afford this, right? So unbeknown to me, she would, she would apply for all the scholarships and I'm like, I don't know why she's doing this. We're never gonna get any, this, right? Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, I get a scholarship from the United, UK government to go study medicine uh, Liverpool University, mm-hmm. right? The British High Commissioners Award. And first of all, like, they don't give it to medical students simply because it's a five-year degree. Whereas, you know, if they gave it to an engineering student or law degree or something, a three-year course, mm-hmm. they can, you know, for the effectively, they can sponsor two students as opposed to one. So generally, they don't give it to medical students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was so flabbergasted. And I found out that my mom, when she applied, she wrote a letter. Saying like, hey, this guy's, you know, pretty good student and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he, he's also good in sports. And, you know, he's got an opportunity to become a doctor. The only reason we can't do it is financials, you know. And uh, I really think like, because the competition for those sports are pretty high. There's a lot of people who are academically really good. There are a lot of people who also play a lot of sports and play music and way better than me. But I think I got it because of the letter. Hmm. right and that honestly subconsciously I think it 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 dictated how I ran my life so what my mom did was she didn't break any rules and my mom is the most straight-laced woman you'll ever meet (laughs) like she will never break a rule right she's a teacher it's like no breaking rules (laughs) so but she did something because she didn't break a rule she did something that no one told her it cannot it shouldn't be done it may be, you know, social construct not to do such a thing, but no one said it cannot be done. And that fundamentally has been the story of my life. Like, you know, when I was in medical student, I, so I go to England, to, to Liverpool to go become a medical student. The, they paid for my fees, but no living expenses. And so I had to try to get a job there. And so as a foreign uh, person in the UK, you need a work permit. And so you need to get someone to sign a form saying it's not going to affect your work. So I thought, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. So I, you know, foolishly took it to the, uh, you know, the main office, administrative office for the for the medical school. And they were like, no, you can't work. Hmm. Man, how are you going to work and go through medical school? No. So I was like, oh, my God. So I kept asking a bunch of for my, my lecturers. And one person kind of said, oh, I've never signed this. And I was like, I know, but. You know, it's only a few hours, you know, and if you don't, it's futile anyway, because I have to pack my bags and leave. Right. Mm-hmm. Only chance of going through medical school. Oh. Yeah. And you know what? He signed the form. Right. So I got a job, I worked in Burger King, put myself to medical school. And same thing. In medical school, I, I realized that I wanted to train as a surgeon and extremely competitive. And I was like, I asked somebody, I was like, you know, how how would you how would you like why would they pick like one person over the other. And he's like, oh, you know, you need to be academically good. And if you've done some research while in medical school, that'd be great. So I was like, great. So I went and pestered a bunch of lecturers, found a pathology lecturer that took a liking to me. And in my third year of medical school, I did a research paper, published a paper. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, I just kept asking the same thing. When I trained in sports medicine, one of the lecturers was Tom Crisp, uh, Mm -hmm. who was the head the head of medicine for team GB, you know, mm-hmm. the UK team. And when he finished the lecture, I ran after him. I still do that now. Mm-hmm. Right? Somebody I want to talk to, I just follow them out. I just myself and I said, you know, can I come and volunteer in your clinic? You know, no one said you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sure enough, well, he said, yeah, of course you can, you know, come. And he was fundamental in, in teaching me how to practice sports medicine, the way I practice now. Fundamental, mm-hmm. you know, just, really, really good. Same thing with working in the European tour. I went after somebody and wrote to the tour, they said no and then eventually they said yes. when I was coming to the US to 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 move to the US to actually redo my residency again, you know um, I had numerous seven years it took me. Mm-hmm. Three hundred fifty times I applied and they said no. you know, but each time I would call people and some people would answer and they would say to me, yeah you know I never saw your application because it's stacked under foreign graduates you know yeah. in which I understand and so it's on and on you know and I think fundamentally the reason I've got to where I have is i you know it's not not taking no for an answer it's it's so much it's more than that it's just it's asking
1: right. mm-hmm.
2: it's never being afraid to to ask and never being attached to to the nose you know the nose just mean you you try. Right, I
1: love that.
2: Yeah.
0: I love that. So incredibly resourceful. And I love that it sort of all begins with mom. It's a nice Mother's <laughs> Day lesson. <laughs> That's, right.
1: That's
0: Listen, right. It begins and it ends with
2: mom. It, <laughs> it still does.
1: <laughs> well, that, that persistence and that willingness to go that extra mile is so important. But currently, in working so closely with some really... High top professional athletes, you know, treating them and knowing them personally. I mean, we've seen you with Ian Poulter on Instagram, just hanging out. What are some not so obvious traits that you think set these professional athletes apart? And are there things that we can learn from them and apply to our lives?
2: Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, funny you mentioned Ian. So Ian is the example of, you know, we, we oftentimes, you know, all we see is what what they do on TV and magazines, mm-hmm. and you know, you put them on a pedestal, right? right? And I get to see the the person, I get to see the the being, the mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. behind all. That. And all these athletes, no exception, are deeply human,
1: mm-hmm.
2: meaning they are really good at some things and very average at other things. Mm-hmm. And that's what being human is. It's a it's a constant battle to overcome your faults and your guilt and your self-doubt, you know, as accomplished as these guys are, they have self-doubts in other endeavors, you know, uh, and you can see that it's a, it's a battle when they have to leave their kids. It's very difficult for them, mm-hmm. you know, when they're not playing well, they get anxious. Uh, so that side of it, you know, when, when you see that, you're like, huh, you know, it's actually, they're not, you know, they are, they are just human. They have a lot of, you know, the, the insecurities of coming, become, you know, part of being human. But I will tell you, working closely with them and with teams and just men and women that I work with, there are a few traits that I think has helped me uh, to 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 become better at what I do, right? Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, like they have certain traits. W- one of the traits is they are all extremely hardworking, yeah. you know, and, and you don't, you will not be able to appreciate the hours that, you know, a Tiger Woods would put in a featherer mm-hmm. that would put in and he looks like he's gliding across the courts effortlessly, right? That's just what you see. What you don't see is the hours of single leg bounding that he's doing. Tiger doing tons of work on his on his abs and his core. You know, like a take a Misty Copeland. The hours she puts in, and what we see is a 90-minute performance, right? Mm-hmm. Muhammad <laughs> Ali was a was a classic example. He actually said, You know, the fight begins long before you see me dance under the lights. Mm -hmm. It's out there in the gym, in the roads, right? right? So they are extremely hardworking. Even the most talented of them don't just rely on the talent. Mm -hmm. They rely on the fact that they're hardworking, number one, right? The other thing is they have a single-minded focus to continually get better. They, they, They know that if they stay as good as they were you know, if an athlete is as good as he was last year or she was last year, the feel is going to go past. Mm. Mm-hmm. So in that endeavor, like they're constantly looking to get themselves better. The motivation may be different for us, but that's a great trait to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, constantly, like I, I'm always learning, always studying, because the more I study, the more I realize I I actually don't know very much, to be honest. Like there's so much more that I don't know than what I do know.
1: Yeah. We feel that, you know? too. yeah.
2: It's so crazy, right? And and so that that continuous improvement also taught me that the the best in the world will seek out the best to study from.
1: Hmm.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a trait that not many people appreciate about athletes. They will find the best trainer. They will find the best person to help them get to their goals. And a lot of that comes down to asking, mm. right? So like I said to you, you know, I mean, it's easier now. More people say yes to me than no, but the process is the same. Those athletes are the same. They will reach out. They will go to other other athletes. They'll go to other trainers and they're constantly trying to learn from the best so that they can be a better version of themselves and stay competitively sharp. So those are traits I think you, anybody can learn from athletes. I love
0: that. It's it's super interesting. And, I, you know, I don't know if there's a good answer to this, but it just kind of makes me curious philosophically almost. Like, where do you, have you thought about maybe where those traits come from in the, in the fact that some people have that single-minded focus, that dedication, that work ethic, and, and, and others,
2: uh, myself included, like it's a little <laughs> well, bit of a struggle like, sometimes. Why are you looking
1: at me, Michael? <laughs>
2: Well, no, I, no, I disagree with you because you may say, you know, it, it it comes down to what you're single-minded on. You will be, Michael, I guarantee you're single-minded at something, <laughs> okay? It may not be what you want to be single-minded as, but you have a tendency, we all do, to be single-minded at something, even if it means just lounging on the couch and eating chips. That's single-mindedly what you're dedicated to. <laughs> right. Right? So I think... They fell in love, if I were to guess, I would say they fell in love with something that became their job.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. So if you if you ask like like Federer has openly said, he loves playing tennis. You know, Tiger loves playing golf. He used to drag his dad to the golf course. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked with a guy called Shoffley. I mean, on his days off, he would play golf and I'm like, dude, you need to take <laughs> I love playing golf. You know, yeah. Jennifer Falketti, who, who was the Australian t- uh, finals this year in, in tennis, loves playing tennis, loves working out. So if you find something that that fuels you that much, being single-minded becomes a little bit easier, right? Yeah, that's so I think they found at a very young age something that they love doing. Yeah. And so then it becomes single-minded. I love working with athletes. I love working in the emergency room. So Going to work and becoming better at my job is not something I go, ah, I've got to read a book today. No, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to go find out what
1: this. Michael is is single-minded about making jingles for the podcast.
2: Oh, Michael, see, no wonder you are so mad at (laughs) this. Dude, your jingles are brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That is a talent in its own right.
0: (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm with I'm, Patty I'm on this. I mean, <laughs> <that's> a woman.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, okay. So let me move on and say we know that nutrition and physical performance are tightly, tightly linked and of <laughs> utmost importance in athletes of, of this caliber. How do you approach nutrition in professional sports?
2: Uh, you know, I'll tell you, working with with professional athletes, right? It, it's 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 very glamorous. Looks very cool, and all this kind of stuff. But I will tell you, the, these athletes, they are they are like Ferraris, right? If you take, if you if you get a, if you gave me you know no offense to Toyota, okay, <laughs> but if you gave me a Toyota Camry, and you said make this Camry go faster, there's so many aspects of the car you can work on to get to increase the performance, right? Mm-hmm. When you have a Ferrari, they're already maxed out. They're already good at everything. That's why they're Ferraris, mm-hmm. right? So, in, in, in interfering with them or in, in an attempt to try to make them better or help them get better, you can actually make them worse very, very easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one area where you can make the Ferrari better is the fuel. Right. You can always mm-hmm. put better fuel in there. And that's how I look at nutrition. Nutrition is a key bridge. To getting that one percent two percent because that's what you're working at. you're mm-hmm. not working at you know 20 improvement you're working at you're looking at you know can they play three three you know three weeks in a row without feeling tired as opposed to two and a half
1: mm-hmm. like your
2: margins are so small so that's where nutrition becomes key and you know when i talk about nutrition you know the the, the podcast world the biohacking world is riddled with all sorts of you know um Controversial and often contradicting mm-hmm. advice on nutrition, yeah. so I don't, I don't believe in any fads as such. Right? I, there's no one diet that I propose to everyone. I measure everything, so I have a rule, and I say, why guess when you can test? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, so I look at like I look, you know, I take a full history. Their ancestry is very, very important to me because, you know, if someone, if someone of my my origin, right, Southeast Asian, we've been brought up on carbs. Like the amount of amylase that I have in my, my saliva is different than someone, say, who's, who's Norwegian or mm-hmm. German, mm-hmm. Right? right? So the ancestral history is very, very important to me. Yeah. Then I use labs. I, I would use blood markers to look at a whole bunch of stuff. And then I use, you know, Genova Diagnosis. I use NutraVal, for instance, to know exactly where we are, what are we lacking, what, what are we good at, you know? And we look at all the vitamins, all the minerals. I look at essential fatty acids from you guys. Um, I use the urine organic acid test to look at the mitochondria, to look at the vitamin B, to look at the brain chemistry. Um, I uh, use urine to look at cortisol. I look at vitamin D. Then, you know, I look at the even the stool. So do they have digestive enzymes? Do they have enough uh, diversity of, of microbiome? Um, uh, is the gut inflamed? Right. You know, and then use genetics, the key markers. Not you know right. genetics again. I'm very specific about what I use because there's a lot of things out there, and right. then a lot of them are not really. It's not robust yet. Yeah. Right. There's about six or seven key things that you can look at. So I look at that. I look at a continuous blood sugar monitor mm-hmm. data from them. Then I take all of that information, and I can advise them on a on a diet and a supplement plan for them on the road, on their weeks off, when they're training, and when they're competing, right? Mm-hmm. And then because I repeat those labs, I'm continuously tweaking them. Yeah. I don't like and and two two athletes will have very different uh, programs. You know, it's all based on actual measurement and data. So. Yeah, when, when it comes to nutrition, I think it's very, very important. But again, I want to be as customized, as individualized as I can.
1: I love it. That personalized approach. And even the thought that Genova's tests are being used in professional athletes. I mean, we spoke to Naveen. And so that's really exciting to know that our tests are actually helping professional athletes, which is Oh, yeah. It's, awesome. it's massive.
2: You know, I, I, I've I used Genova for years. And, you know, it's it gives me all everything that I need to know. You know, like, mm-hmm. for instance, when people say to me, should I be on fish or I, I don't know. Right, should, right, right. I can measure it, right, mm-hmm. and then I can get that data, and also how much fish oil. Right. Not everybody should be on the classic two tablets. Right. Some people may need five, six tablets. You don't know. So, I I'm very precise as much as I can is what I do, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this. Like I've used Genova, Genova Labs forever. Wow.
1: Perfect. That's Perfect. great.
2: That's great. We're honored. Um,
0: Another concept that's interesting to me is like pain is very common in patients, athletes who train vigorously. So what's kind of your functional approach to dealing with pain as, as it relates to athletes?
2: Oh, Michael. Man, <laughs> simply. Yeah. Very simply. All right. Pain. Okay. Okay. So pain is a symptom, right? And, and when I, when I get, when someone comes in with pain, my first question is: Is it a normal physiological response? Is it a hormetic response? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so the classic DOMS, delayed onset muscle stiffness, mm-hmm. that is a hormetic response. That's painful as a result of your training. Now you don't necessarily want to interfere with that because the body is learning to adapt. And if you interfere with that, you're, 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 you'll you'll blunt the adaptation process. That's what they're looking for as a result of the training, right? If it's not hormetic and it's it's pathological, I want to know, is this acute pain or is this chronic pain with an exacerbation? If it's an acute pain, I want to know, is this a like a primary issue? Like, let I'll give you an example. Let's say you have bicep tendonitis. You come in and, and the bicep hurts, right? And you have tendonitis there. Now, is this a primary issue with the bicep tendon or is the bicep tendon complaining because it's a secondary issue with something else and the bicep is complaining because it's doing the work it shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. and it's you know it's a compensation that's come to an to expire mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. all compensation that have, have an expiry date mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so if you have compensated to a point and now it can no longer cons you know compensate the bicep will start complaining If you focus all on on the bicep, you'll miss where that pain is coming from. So one of the things I mentioned, Tom Crisp, very early on, you know, no matter what, you would start with, why this athlete? Why this injury or this symptom? And why now? Because bicep tendonitis in you, Michael, is very different than bicep tendonitis in Patty, right? right? The Mm -hmm. the being is different. So you have to put it in that context, right? Um, So... If it's a primary acute issue, regardless of whether it's primary or secondary, right? You want to drive, the, you want to bring the inflammation down. So there you can use a variety of modalities, Eyes. Uh, you can use essential fatty acids, you know, high doses of fish oil to bring it down. Like that's that's been proven over and over again. Going on a low glycemic diet helps. Um, and then making sure the nutrition is adequate for repair and recovery, but also things like, you know, downregulating the parasympathetic nervous system by vagal stimulation, for instance, that has a huge role in in managing pain. And and also when you have pain, the body automatically, you know, that there is inactivation of certain muscle groups and that can delay the the rehabilitation and when the pain is controlled. So during the acute phase, you want to make sure all those areas that are switched off, you identify them and turn them back on. Right. So that's, That's a, you know, kind of a quick approach to um, an acute injury, but also there is a space for pharmaceuticals, right? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to chronic injuries, this is where it's tricky because an acute injury, you know, is still a peripheral issue, meaning it's a peripheral nervous system issue, like it's localized in the peripheral nervous system. When it becomes a chronic pain issue, it starts taking much more real estate, claiming much more real estate in the brain and so chronic pain has a huge emotional component to it mm-hmm. right and so that's why i you know when when someone has chronic pain i i, I distinguish between pain and suffering
1: mm-hmm.
2: but suffering is pain with a huge emotional overlay there's a lot of uncertainty like with my athletes you know will i play again
1: right. you know mm-hmm.
2: i work so hard and this pain is still there i've had surgery it's still there you have to work not just With labs, You have to work with the mind. You have to work with this. It's a huge problem. Right. So to address that would be very different. But you have to I have to appreciate that the person is suffering and Mm -hmm. suffering is 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 a very different ballgame.
1: Wow. Wow. I mean, well, you just mentioned this briefly, but, you know, we know that the HPA axis and the rest and parasympathetic state is important. And we talk about it on the show a lot, especially as it relates to athletes. But you even were just saying that you have golfers who are golfing on their day off. How do you explain this need for that rest and parasympathetic state and convince them that rest is equally as important as their exercise and their training?
2: Um, You know, like I love love car analogies. So one of the things I would always say to them is the better your brakes, the faster you can go.
1: Hmm. I like that
2: right? The better your brakes, the faster you can go. Mm-hmm. Your body won't let you go faster than your brakes. And if you don't believe me, look at strength, right? Eccentric strength is almost always more than concentric strength. Hmm. If it's not, you're going to get injured, right? right? Centric strength is your body's braking, is your hamstring, is how, you know, all the things in the back that help slow you down to decelerate is your eccentric strength. Mm-hmm. But physiologically, your brakes have to be really powerful so that and then you know people have made you know recovery such a you know good thing now you know Mm -hmm. all the the media buzz a lot of attention like lebron you know publicly said he spends a million dollars on recovery right people have taken you know the the whole biohacking world has paid attention to this Mm -hmm. and then using wearable data so you have you know hrv that you can monitor and i think with the athlete it's one thing to to talk to them and try to convince them the other thing. But it's another thing for them to visually see something. Right. Like if they can see a result, right, they can see, oh my God, my HRV has gone up. It's much more, they'll call you and they'll say, hey, my HRV is like trending upwards. What what do I need to do? Right? They're looking for it, right? It's a sleep, like the sleep scores. You know, as much as I think they're all calculated and they're not as accurate as they can be, but they're consistently inaccurate so you can use it. Mm-hmm. That will often... You know, prompt someone to say, Man, I need to work more on, on recovery. Like, look at breath work. Wim Hof came in the scene and made breath work very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Now there's so much work on breath work. You know, none of this is actually new. Mm-hmm. The yogis were doing this thousands of years ago. I've spent time with the Shaolin monks, like they do breath work from day one, right? Right. They become mainstream now. So it's not it's not actually difficult to convince them of anything. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a day off you know to you and me we maybe you know sitting on the beach is how we relax but maybe for that golfer who loves playing golf Mm -hmm. just playing in a non-competitive environment with his friends or just on his own just playing around a golf is where he relaxes that's okay you know doesn't mean they have to take a day off if they love what they're doing
1: that makes sense yeah
2: so and then you can also you know uh you looking at you know Cortisol data, looking at, you know, hormonal markers, you can, again, using data to support what you're advising them to do has become much, you know, become part and parcel of my practice. It's become much easier to convince them, like say, Hey, you know, because I also do the opposite, right? When everyone's saying you should be recovering, you should be recovering. I look at the data and go, no, you have plenty of gas left in the tank. Step on the tank, step (laughs) on the, keep going, you know, and they're like, wow, (laughs) Recover, right? Because like, it's good. <clears throat> cortisol is good. All the numbers are look good. I think you still have time to keep training hard. Mm-hmm. And then I'll tell them. I'll, I'll monitor you. And when it's time, I will tell you. Then you need to back off. Yeah. And yes. you know, so that and then you know, it's interesting. I think COVID has taught a lot of people something. A lot of athletes were had mandated rest. Yeah. Yeah. Over COVID, and they came back like playing better.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: You know? Yep. Uh and so they've all kind of realized and go, Man, I took you know, I, I was in quarantine and I'm playing better than ever before. So they're like, Maybe I should quarantine again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not difficult to stop that. Like. <laughs>
0: do you it begs the question too, just out of curiosity, do you have a specific modality that you like to go to for parasympathetic activation, or is that sort of athlete to athlete specific too?
2: Usually it's athlete to athlete, but, you know, breathing techniques are very, very easy, can be done on the road. You know, very simple modalities, right? Um, and then it's, you know, it's using what the athlete wants to do. There, there, there are people that like to, you know, be grounded, then using grounding techniques, for instance, walking bare feet, like walking, or, uh, you know, walking on a beach. or they, it Depends on what they have around them. But breath work is one of the easiest ways. Like they, they are now, a lot of them are okay getting into ice baths. So I tell them, okay, when you get an ice bath, do this pattern of breathing called box breathing, mm-hmm. which helps down-regulate your sympathetic nervous system and turn on the parasympathetic nervous system. Or even when you're breathing out, like focus on breathing out, long, slow, outward breath, even humming. All of those things help, you know, help the the vagal tone and help you with rect recovery, rest, digestion, all that kind of stuff. Great.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, I had another question. Um, you offer training and free courses on your website, draraoncall.com. Your book, Lose Weight and Feel Great Forever, is also available there. Can you tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they go to your website?
2: Oh, gosh. I You know, listen, if uh, the, the main thing there, like, the book was written for you know everyday people. There was a lot of questions on like you know how do I lose weight? What do I eat? Like I, I, I you know, it's so puzzling to me. Like people are so confused on what they need to eat. Right? It so difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a dog and he has no problems. He, he gives something, he looks at it, he's either going to eat it or run away from it. Like it's very simple for him, you know. And I'm like, how did we make it this complicated? Right. You know? You know, one day, carnivore another day, vegan the other day. Oh, my God. So I wrote that book to keep things very, very, very simple. Uh, I was at that time when I wrote it, this is like going on five years ago. I was the chief wellness officer for my group. And the book came about because I got asked the same questions over and over and over again. So I was like, man, I'm just going to write a book and give it to them. So I wrote the book, published it. You know, they all got copies of the book. And then they still ask me the same question, <laughs> so it did not. But, but uh, I, I um, you know, I, I I teach a lot of what I just talked to you guys about, like on on a course called Functional Sports Medicine, and it's it's looking at how to answer that question: why this athlete, why this injury, why now? And also, you know, my work is based fundamentally on driving down chronic inflammation. It's what Usain Bol said. Usain Bol said. 50% of my training is rest and recovery because I need to allow my body to absorb the training that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So the first part made sense, right? Made intuitive sense. But when I heard the second part, this is like going on six years ago. I was like, well, what do you mean the body has to absorb training? Why would one body absorb training and another body not? Mm-hmm. Like what, what makes it conducive to absorbing training? And, you know, went down so many rabbit holes, as you can see from all the books behind me. (laughs) And I I kind of realized, you know, the more chronically inflamed you are and being a professional athlete or a professional life, you know, professional mom, professional business person, professional dad, they are highly inflammatory endeavors. You know, they have consistent features, right? And so if you can drive down chronic inflammation, then you then provide the 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 body a physiological platform to absorb training fully recover train again fully recover and if you can train hard fully recover train hard fully recover you can then build resilience and the more resilient you are the better athlete you will be right so that that whole thing what i just described you is what i teach on the course but i also show people how i use laboratory markers to to get to that point. So,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, I will say... I've actually signed up for all of your courses on Dr. Ara, and I've been through all of these videos. And I just want to tell the audience, if you listen to this podcast, you know that Michael and I geek out over a lot of things like biochemistry, oxidative stress, and mitochondrial dysfunction. Just wait till you watch Dr. Ara's videos. So just go to DrAraOnCall.com to check those out. And we're so grateful that you came on the show. But before we let you go, Dr. Ara, Sophia, we have one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman.
0: Oh, yeah. You might know how this works. This is a fireball question. You do know
1: this, right, Dr. Ara?
2: No you guys keep changing around so I can never be prepared for this.
0: <laughs> well we are on to animals these days and so the question is do you have a favorite wild animal
2: my favorite wild animal <laughs> hmm. dolphin
1: wow <laughs> how come
2: ah oh, just they are so joyful like uh, man I mean if you just think of a joy uh, just think of a dolphin and you uh-huh. start smiling yeah. They're happy, they're good and yet they are so, like, graceful and just fast and they are so relaxed. Like, oh, my God, I wish I could be a dolphin. I love that.
1: <laughs> that's so Aww. great. And that, and that
0: reflects you, I sir. was just
1: going to say that, Michael. That just makes me smile, just like Dr. Ara. And Dr. Ara-Sapaya, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. We're so grateful for your time.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Like, honestly, I also want to tell you, like, you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Aw, don't, don't, like, honestly, really, really good stuff. And, uh, the you know, the lab itself is a phenomenal lab. You don't understand how much better it makes my, my job. Good. Aw. Everything is there, totally reliable, good turnaround time. You know, great, great lab. So.
1: Aww. And we want to encourage everyone to go to DrAraOnCall.com and check out your book, Lose Weight and Feel Great Forever. But thanks, Dr. Ara.
2: Thank you for
1: having me. I am very grateful to you. I mean... I, I I, don't even know what to say I'm to that. I am
0: absolutely stupefied.
1: <laughs> I can't stop smiling.
0: I have a lot of work to do. In we the all jingle have a lot department, of work
1: apparently.
0: <laughs> And I will not let Dr. Sapaya down.
1: This is going to be... This is a challenge. You've now accepted it.
0: Next time on The Lab Report, Zach George.
1: The United Kingdom's fittest man.
0: Step your game up, Oliver. Brilliant.
1: Brilliant. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at one 800 522 4762, or email us at podcast at gdx.net.
0: I will also say this. We may be different in the fact that you have six medical degrees, but we both had the same first job, which was Burger King.
2: No way! Yes. <laughs> Wait, see? I'm telling you.